And then before you leave here, I want to give you some things you can do right now to start now in your life of really moving forward. To have your Bible, go to Philippians chapter 3. It's a great text we're going to be studying today. The Apostle Paul is talking a little biographical today about what his life has been like. In the verses before we get to verse 7, there, there's been some pharisaical teachers who come along and been criticizing Paul, and they've been given all their credentials and all their spiritual accolades and all their certificates and all their awards. And Paul said, guys, come on now. If anybody wants to talk about how spiritual they've been, what rewards they've had, what degrees they have, man, I've been a Pharisee, a Pharisee. I've kept the law blamelessly. Your credentials don't compare to my credentials. But then listen to what Paul says. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Well, let's stop there just for a moment in these verses. What's Paul saying? Yes, I had all the credentials, all the accolades, all the degrees, but the truth is, compared to knowing Jesus, they're garbage. They need to be cleaned up. They need to be thrown in the trash because they don't compare to having this relationship with Jesus. And Paul says, let me tell you about the basis of this relationship. It's not your ability to keep the law. I tried that once, Paul said. That didn't work too well. It's on the basis of your faith in Jesus that you become righteous. And Paul says, I have this righteous life that is so awesome, so good, this relationship so wonderful that everything else in my life looks like trash. It looks like dung. Let me tell you today, I don't know what you've achieved in your life. I don't know what diplomas and awards you have on the wall of your office. I don't know what you've done to achieve spiritually, but when you finally meet Jesus, let me tell you this, it's going to be like trash to you. I mean, uh, another translation there says, it's like dung, it's like cow manure compared to knowing Jesus. If you've lived a religious life where it's been about you keeping all the rules and your salvation's based on whether you can keep all the rules correctly or not, and you discover the grace of God like the Apostle Paul did, where you know it's not your ability to keep the rules, it's what Jesus did for you and you putting faith in that, let me tell you, that old life of rule keeping will look like trash, dung, cow manure to you. Listen to what Paul says as we keep on in Philippians. I want to know Christ, he says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his suffering and to become like him in his death. And so somehow attaining to the resurrection of the dead. Now, now let's just go, let's mark down what's the goal. What is this whole shebang about? Why are we here today? What is the Christian life about? Here's the goal. The goal is to know and to imitate Christ. That's the goal. Paul says, what I want more than anything else is to know Jesus Christ. And I want to imitate him in my life. Jesus put it this way. 
John chapter 17, verse 3, he's praying. He says, Father, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Did you hear that? What is eternal life? What's the whole goal? It's to know Christ. Now, I could throw one word in there and completely change the meaning. Let's throw this word in there. Now, this is eternal life, that they may know about Christ. He didn't say that, did he? He says that they may know Christ. Guys, there's a big difference in just knowing about Christ. There's a big difference in just memorizing the facts and knowing, having a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he wants for you. He wants you to walk in a friendship with him. And then as you begin to know him, he says, what you also do is you will begin to imitate him. You'll begin to become like him. So how could you know how you're doing on the go? I mean, if that's the real goal, to know and imitate Christ, how would you know how you've done in the year 2012? Let me just ask you a couple questions. Have you grown in your love for God? And if you're grown in your ability to love people. You see, Jesus said those are the two great commandments. That's how you know if you're reflecting these things. Are you loving God? Are you loving people? I love this church, and a huge church in, in Illinois that decided to look at everything they did and say, let's see, it, 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 or, or what we're doing, is it effective? Are we really growing disciples? And here were the two questions they asked. Are people coming to love God more and are people coming to treat people differently? Listen, that's how you're going to find out where you are. Are you knowing and imitating Christ? Guys, listen to me. We live in a really complicated world, don't we? There's so many more choices about everything. I mean, you know, we were watching TV the other night. You know, we got... You know, direct TV, you got hundreds of channels. And how many of you experience having all those channels and flipping through and not finding one thing you'd like? Make you want to go back to three networks, right? And then you even go to, you know, the restaurant, you know, and the, the Coke machine. <laughs> it's gotten sort of complicated. I mean, you go and there's a screen. You got all the products to choose from, and you, you choose Coke, and then it says, you got another choice. Do you want Coke or Diet Coke? And I say, I want Diet Coke. And then it says, do you want Diet Coke or do you want Coke Zero? And then I, I choose Diet Coke again. And then he goes to that and says, what flavor do you want? Strawberry, cheesecake, fruitcake? I mean, it, wouldn't that be terrible? I mean, I mean, it's incredible, all the choices that we have. And even sometimes when it comes to church, things seem to be a whole lot more complicated than they once were. It all seemed so simple years ago. And we've gone through so many changes that sometimes your head's just swimming. Let me, let me, let me bring it back to simplicity, biblical simplicity, is that the goal of your life is to know Christ and to imitate him. To come into relationship with him where you so know him that you begin to reflect him. Those are not disjointed ideas. Knowing and imitating go hand in hand. Because here's the deal. The more you get to know Christ, the more you become like him. Anybody had a, a great friend that the, the more you knew that friend, you started picking up their habits? I mean, a lot of the way you view the year 2012, I'll guarantee you this morning, is who are your friends? Because one thing you can almost mark down as 100% true is that you have become like the people you hang out with, for better, for worse. 
And I was never sarcastic until I started hanging around with Paul Evans. And then I just, I just, I just lost it. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, it's the people you hang around with is what you become like. And here's, here's the cool deal. When Jesus Christ begins to be your best friend, you begin to automatically become like him. When you fall in love with him and you spend time with him and you're in his word and you're in prayer and you're in meditation and you're walking with him, here's what happens. You want to start being different? You'll start reflecting that. Because it's who you hang out with that determines who you're like. And I challenge you this year to make it your goal to know and to imitate Jesus. And if you want to make it more complicated than that, you're going to mess this thing up. Well, how do you do that? Well, let's, 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 let's keep reading. Let's go to verse 12. Listen to what Paul says. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. Paul said, I, I've not arrived. I, I've not made it yet. Here's, here's what I want more than anything else. I want to know Christ. I want to imitate him so closely that I imitate his death, his suffering, his resurrection. I want the whole shebang. Here, what do you do, Paul? I've not already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Wow, I love that. Just, Just pay attention to that line. I press to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. What's he say? God was the initiator. I love the the message translation here. I reach out for Christ who so wondrously reached out to me. I'm reaching back. I'm trying to take hold of him because I tell you what, he's already taken hold of my heart. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, what do you do, Paul? Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of things. What's Paul saying? You know, if you're really wanting to grow in Christ as a disciple, here's the way you do it. Let me give give you some ways to pursue the goal. I hope you're taking notes this morning. How do you pursue this goal according to the Apostle Paul? Number one, there must be a sense of dissatisfaction. You've got to be honest enough to say, I've not arrived. I'm not there. Now, please understand what I'm saying here because you can misunderstand this. I don't think the Apostle Paul is saying, I'm dissatisfied with my salvation. I don't think he's saying, you know, I've not arrived yet and I feel lost. He's already made it clear that his salvation is based on his faith and he has great faith in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. But he still is not completely imitating and knowing Christ. He's dissatisfied there. Now, listen to me, guys. Every great religious movement and every great religious change in someone's life starts with a sense of dissatisfaction. Until you, as we would say, get sick and tired of being sick and tired, you're not going to change. You've got to come to that point in your life where you go, you know what? Uh, There's got to be more to life than this. There's there's, got to be something deeper than this. There's got to be something better than this. I, I just, you know, things aren't too bad, but they're not. I, I got this gnawing sense that they're not what they ought to be. I mean, you read the Old Testament, all through the Old Testament. Things don't change until God's people finally get so sick and tired of their sin, sick and tired of their apathy, that they cry out to God, and then things change. 
You've got to have that sense of dissatisfaction in your life. Now, here's, here's a couple problems. There's a great problem of anybody who thinks they've arrived. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know anybody more godly in the Bible than the Apostle Paul. And if Paul says, I've not arrived, how about you and me? The worst things that could happen as we begin this new year is if someone says, you know what, I've, 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 I've made it, you know, and, and now in your snooty, arrogant way, you just sort of look down your nose. I mean, you've accomplished some things and you've made it, and now everybody who's not just like you, you start looking down on them because somehow you come up with this weird idea that you've arrived. Guys, that is dangerous, super dangerous. Another problem here, I think, is some of us have become okay with a life that's not really pursuing Christ. We become okay that we're really not in the Word of God studying. We become okay that our prayer life is sort of cold and stale. We become okay that we're lukewarm. We become okay that there's not really a lot going on in our life that we could point to God. We become okay with it. Oh, we still come to church. We're here, but we're sort of okay with just living a superficial, lukewarm, spiritual life. Let me tell you guys, you don't need to be okay with that. You need to be dissatisfied with that. There's got to be something in you that says, you know what? This is not okay. If Satan can get you in that place, man, he's got you stuck. So so somewhere, if you really want to pursue this relationship and this change, you come to that point of dissatisfaction where you say, you know, okay, there's some things that aren't okay in my life. Thank goodness for the grace of God. Thank goodness I've got this foundation that I'm never alone, but but I I want to be better. I want to do more. And that brings me to number two, which is direction. Paul says, here's here's what I do. I'm going to forget what lies behind, and I am going to strain forward to what lies ahead. I'm I'm getting my life in the right direction. Have I arrived yet? No. But here's what I'm doing, man. Every bit of my energy is going toward this goal. Guys, there's some things you just need to forget. One of the things Satan would like to convince you and I this morning is that your past equals your future. That, okay, you lived 2010 this way, and 2011 wasn't much different, and 2012 still matched that. And honestly, if you went back to the year 1998, you'd look pretty much the same. And, and what Satan wants to say is it just, you're just going to be the same. That's just who you are. Just accept it. The past equals the future. And Paul says, not at all. What you need to do is you need to learn to forget the past. Forget the failures of the past. Forget the successes of the past. I mean, leave that behind you and pursue God. And guys, there's some things that are hard to leave, aren't they? Maybe you've got some bitterness in your heart. Maybe you've got some unforgiveness. I'm sure there are lots of people in here that there's some, been some unfair things that have happened in your life. There are people that have hurt you. There are things that happen at work that you didn't deserve. Things in your family that that were painful. Rejection that's messed your heart up. What do you do? You've got to learn to forget that. One of the great examples of Scripture, someone who could do this, was Joseph. If anybody was rejected and abused, it was Joseph. Rejected by his brothers. Rejected by Pharaoh at some point. He's thrown into prison and forgotten. 
rejected and abused by Pharaoh's wife when she charges him with rape and he's back to prison. I mean, on and on and on. One of the coolest things happens in Joseph's life. When Joseph has children, listen to the names of his first two children. The name Manasseh literally means God has caused me to forget. That's what he names his first child. I've been able to let go of all those things that have happened. And then his next child, Ephraim, means to flourish. It means to be fruitful. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. Until you learn to forget some things, you will never really flourish and be fruitful in your life. Now, that doesn't mean that literally Paul could not remember anything that happened in his life or that Joseph forgot every time he'd been sitting in prison or been left in that dungeon by his brothers. But what it does mean is that they were no longer dominated by the past. The, the past no longer determined who they were. Many of us, we've got some burdens, some attitudes, some feelings that are deep in us, and they're determining our happiness today. They're determining our productivity today. They're determining, they're making us unfruitful spiritually. Maybe it's even a mistake you made. Maybe it's your own guilt. Paul would say, you know what you need to do? You need to forget those things. Put those behind you. Don't take them into the new year so that you can be fruitful. Then number three, if you want to pursue the goal, you've got to have a sense of devotion. I love how laser beam focused Paul is. He says, there is one thing I do. Paul, that's a lie. What? Paul, we know that you're a tent maker. Well, that's true. We know that you write books of the Bible. Well, that's true. We, we know that you're a preacher. Yeah, yeah, I do. We know that you're a missionary. Certainly. Well, then how in the world can you write in this passage, there is one thing that I do, Paul. That's just not the truth. Oh, yes, it is. Well, how can that be the truth? My life is so focused on knowing Christ and becoming like Christ, imitating Christ. It's so focused on that. That so dominates my life. It's so paramount in my life that all those other things I do really are beneath that. There's truly one thing I do. Here's most of us in our, our biggest problem in really growing spiritually is that we do too many things. Or at least too many things dominate our life. We've got too many distractions. I mean, God's on the list, but he's just on the list. Knowing Jesus is there, but not dominant. I mean, let me ask you this morning. Could you say, could I say, pretty, pretty penetrating question. Let me tell you guys, I mean, my life's got a lot of things going on and sort of complicated in some areas, you know, and I work and I send my kids to school and I keep a house and I make a living. But, but, but honestly, I could say to you today that there is one thing I do. I mean, compared to my desire to know Christ and be like him, everything else appears rather insignificant. Don't you love that story back in Luke chapter 10? Such a real story. When Jesus comes to the home of Mary and Martha, 
And Martha's all uptight about Jesus being there, and she's trying to put a full course meal on the table. My goodness, the Son of God's in her house. And Martha gets so upset because Mary is just sitting there shooting the breeze with Jesus. And Martha walks into the living room, and Martha says to to Jesus, Don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? I mean, how many people ever ask Jesus if he cares, right? Martha's pretty bold. Don't you care? I mean, can't you see Jesus? I mean, she's, she's not just ticked off at Martha. She's sort of ticked off at Jesus. I mean, Jesus, how do you let this go on? I mean, I'm back here in the kitchen getting everything ready. Mary's just in here shooting the breeze, talking to you. Don't you care? Would you? And she says, just what we would say, would you tell her to help me? I, I, I love Jesus' answer. Martha, Martha. Now, you know you're in trouble anytime the Lord says your name twice, right? That's like saying your full name. Martha, Martha, you are worried and uptight about so many things. Only one thing matters, and Mary has chosen the one thing that's eternal. What has Mary chosen that Martha has neglected? Mary has chosen to be with Jesus. And what a picture that is of our life, guys. Are we more focused on the one thing that matters? Are we more distracted on the many things that really don't matter? Because Paul's not saying you don't need to go make a living. You don't need to take care of your children. You need to take care of your house. He's not saying those things. But he is saying this. Here's the way your life should look. It should be so dominated by knowing Christ. It should be so paramount that you imitate him. That you're able to say, you know, looking at the broad spectrum of life, there's one thing I really do. One thing that dominates everything in my life. And that's knowing and imitating Jesus. And that brings me to number four. How do you do this? You've got to be disciplined. I mean, Paul uses all kinds of things that encourage discipline. There's one thing I'm straining toward. I'm living up to the standard we've already attained. What is discipline? It's not a word we like very well, but it's a very good word. I mean, the word discipline means simply to give up something you want for something you want more. That's the best definition I've ever heard of discipline. You give up something you want because you want something more. And guys, to to know and imitate Christ, there's going to have to be a point in your life where you give up some things you want, that you like, that you enjoy. Maybe you love watching TV. Maybe you love just vegging on the couch, you know, for hours at a time. But you've decided you want to know Christ. And so you cut the TV off and you go spend time in his word. Or maybe you like sleeping late in on Sunday morning, you know, because, I mean, that's your one day you feel like you can do that. But you want to know Christ. And so you make it your goal this year that you're not going to miss being here at 9 o'clock. Maybe you'd love going out to eat brunch early, but you make your mind up, I'm going to be in a Bible class. You, you give up something you want because there's something you want more. That's what discipline is all about. And do you see in that word discipline, there's a key Bible word. There is the word disciple. You cannot be a disciple without discipline. If we say we really want to be a follower of Jesus, it means There's some things I'm going to have to say no to so I can say yes to this. The great lie of our culture is you can't have it all. You can't. you got to make some choices. I'm looking back there this week, and I see uh, Chad Mansman. He was baptized about a week and a half ago. And I love when I was talking to Chad before uh, his buddy Heath baptized him. And Chad says, I'm telling you what I want to be, Mr. Buddy. I don't want to be just an average Christian. I want to be a disciple of Jesus. That involves discipline. I ask you, are you ready to be a disciple of Jesus? 
And then number five, I mean, you just see all over these verses, there is a sense of determination. Paul is completely determined that he is going to press on. And guys, let's say this about, about living this life of a, of a disciple who's knowing and imitating Jesus. Because this is not easy. If it was easy, everybody would be doing it. That's why you got to have this sense of doggedness, this dogged determination that says, you know what, maybe in the year 2012, I sort of fell below the standards I wanted. Maybe somehow 2012 was a, sort of a lost year for me spiritually. Don't really understand it, not happy about it, not proud of it, but I'm not going to carry that into the new year. I'm, in, I'm determined to follow Jesus. Now just look at all these things up there. Look at the five things we've listed about pursuing the goal. Let me change gears just for a moment here. And let's talk about us as a church as we look at the year 2013. Guys, all these things need to be true of us as a church. I mean, the year 2012 has been an incredible year. In my estimation, it's been one of our very best years as a church. It's been a wonderful year. God has blessed us tonight weekly with new Christians and new members and, and lots of exciting things going on and seeing lots of you grow and seeing some marriages saved. I mean, there's been some wonderful things that have happened. But guys, we've not arrived. Then all these things need to be applied to our lives. We've got to pursue the things that are important. That's why every week when Wes or Paul or Mark get up here, we once again reiterate that simple mission statement that we want to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why consistently, doggedly, maybe even gets on your nerves, we talk about you being a part of three environments where we think God grows people. We're calling for you to every week be a part of an assembly of worship. We think that is critically important. That's where we're transformed. We're calling on you to be a part of a Bible class. My goodness, you're already here. Can you not stay for another hour and dive deeper into God's word? We're calling for you to be a part of a small group where you're molded by fellowship, molded by worship, molded by encounter, deep encounter in the word, and molded by the fellowship of God's people. We think those three environments are not only biblical, but they are critical for your growth. And let me tell you, we're doggedly determined that every member is going to be a part of those. And you're going to get tired of us bothering you about that. I love a, a visitor recently who came up to me and said, buddy, we're really thinking about becoming members at Landmark, but you've got to promise me something. I thought, oh, no, what, what's he about to say? Now, promise me you're not. He said, you've got to promise me that you will hold me accountable. I thought, man, I've not heard that one in a long time. And I'm telling you, we are going to do our best to hold you accountable to those three environments, not because we care just about you being in those environments, but because we care about your spiritual growth. And we don't want to be, if you just want to come to church where they don't care, if you just want to come to church where it's okay for you just to slide spiritually, you've come to the wrong place. But if you want to be a part of a church in 2013 where we want to see you, you want to see me, we want to be more like Jesus. And we know these three environments corporately are the way that happens. And let me tell you, we're, we're, we're going to be determined about those things. We may drive you a little crazy about those things. But we're not going to apologize about that. We got a, a, a next month that we're organizing small groups. We need some of you to step forward and be great small group leaders. I'm not talking about people who just take a sheet of paper, you know, and, and wing it. I'm talking about somebody who loves people, disciples people, brings people into their home, you know, and cares about them. We need some great small group leaders. I hope you'll pray about that. Well, let's close out this message now. How do you, how do you start now? Let's get, let's get back personal. 
Let's get real personal to finish here. Here we are on December the 30th. We're two days to a new start. Let me ask you two questions. What do you need to leave in the year 2012? That's the first question. What do you need to leave behind? Because many of us, it's like we got a burlap sack, you know, and we've been walking around and we've been, we've been picking up these rocks. You know, maybe it's, it's a bad attitude and I put it. Maybe it's a lack of forgiveness and I put it in my sack. And maybe under here I found some old guilt from some sin I used to have in my life. And, 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 and back here I got in a friendship that's not helped me become more like Jesus. It's made me less like Jesus. And, and you know, I've developed some, some, uh, some habits and attitudes and maybe even addictions that are dominating my life, you know, and my schedule has begun to be dominated by the many things and not the one thing. And I don't even have time for Bible study and prayer and those. And, and, and I've just filled this big sack up, you know, and I'm walking around and I'm trying, I, I, I'm listening to you, buddy. I, I want to grow spiritually. I really, I know you're right. I know that it really is this simple, but, but I'm so burdened down by this sack of rocks. Can I ask you this? Would you just dump it out on this stage this morning? I mean, as we come to this invitation song in just a moment, would you be determined just to leave it here? What do you need to leave in the year 2012? What friendship do you need to get out of because it's destroying you spiritually? What guilt do you need to get rid of? Because God's not using it. Satan's using it. He's just throwing it up to you over and over and over again. What negative attitude have you had that's kept you from being involved in the family of faith? I mean, what, do you, what do you need to leave here? What's Satan throwing in your face? What part of your past is dominating you? What, 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 what is telling you you can't really change? You can't be different. What sin in your life, you know, has begun to take over that you need to, to, to leave behind? I mean, this morning, I'm inviting you to come before this church and to just name it. What are you going to leave in the year 2012? What are you going to put behind? Because I'm telling you, until you get rid of that sack of rocks, you're not going to be able to pursue God. And that brings me to the question, what do you need to pursue in the year 2013? What are you going to leave in 2012? What are you going to pursue in 2013? What is going to dominate your life? Can you say like the Apostle Paul, I'm telling you what, I don't know what all is going to go in 2013. I can't predict that. But I do know this. There is one thing I'm going to do. I may not accomplish a lot of these other things over here in my life, but there's one thing I'm going to do. I am going to come to know Jesus, and I'm going to become more like him because if I accomplish everything else over here and I miss that, I've missed it all. So what will you pursue? What will you go after? Just a moment, we're going to stand and sing and maybe you need to come to this front and publicly say, here's what i got to leave. I've been trying to leave it on my own and not been successful. I need the prayers of the church right now to put that divorce behind me, to put that depression behind me, to put that loss behind me, to put that bitterness behind me, to put that sin behind me. Put it behind me. And, or maybe you need to come and say, you know what? My life's been about the many things. It's not been about the one thing. And I need you to pray for me that I can be like the Apostle Paul and focus like a laser beam on the one thing that matters, and that's knowing Jesus and becoming like him. Now let me give you some good news as we close out. Here's the really good news. The good news is that before you ever pursued God, he has pursued you. I love that line we looked at a little while ago. I want to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus has taken hold of me. 
I like the old King James Version there. I want to apprehend what God has apprehended in me. We're starting a new message series next Sunday called The Pursuit. And here's what I want you to understand. You may be here in this very moment because God has been pursuing you. You didn't start it. He started it. And you see, when you understand his pursuit of you, it makes you want to have this picture. What, what's the picture the Apostle Paul's giving here? If I could boil it down to one picture, that those words there in the, in, in, in the text of pressing on, here's what they literally mean. The, the picture Paul has is of an athlete, a runner, who is pressing on toward the finish line. The tape is across, and the runner is straining. He's pushing. He's pressing. He's pressing his chest out. He wants to win the race. Everything is going, going in every bit of energy into hitting that tape. That's a great picture. That's an awesome picture. That's the way spiritual growth happens. Can, can I ask you before we sing? Is that an accurate picture of you? I mean, someone said, let me take a snapshot of your spiritual growth. Man, he's not perfect. He didn't have much together. He's still got some things he's trying to deal with. He still struggles. But man, he is pushing. He is pressing. He is straining. He, that's a great picture of his life. He's going toward the finish line with everything he's got. Is that the picture of you? If not, here's the good news. It is the picture of God. And it could be the picture of your life. So this morning, let's do some business. What do you need to leave behind? And what do you need to pursue? If God's moving in your heart this morning, I'm challenging you, don't stand there while we stand. Come down front. Publicly say it. Publicly leave it here. Publicly pursue the right thing. And I guarantee you, the year 2013, no matter what Satan in life throws at you, could be a year where the one thing that matters matters in your life. If you need to come, why don't you come right now while we stand and sing?